the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Millburgers Gardening South Texas is sponsored by Millburgers Landscaping and Nursery on 9:30 a.m. The Answer. Ready? It's time for Millburgers Gardening South Texas. Two hours of gardening facts and fun with Dr. Jerry Parsons and Dr. Calvin Finch. To be a part of the show, call 308-8867. That's 308-8867. Or toll free at 866-308-8867. And now, live from Millburgers Landscape and Nursery at 1604 and Bulverde Road. Here's your host, Milton Blake. And welcome to Millburgers Gardening South Texas on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Milton Glick along with Dr. Jerry Parsons, Dr. Calvin Finch. And we're going to start off right now with a guest. Uh, Mike Bodenchuk is the state director of the, the, state, uh, yeah, of the state of Texas Wildlife Services uh, here in the state of Texas. Uh, Mike, uh, and we're going to talk. I'll, I'll, I'll let you tell folks what you do, Michael. I'm gonna, or Mike, I'm going to let you kind of get started with that. But, and then I'll tell you why we called you. We're counting, on your, we're counting on your expertise. And then we'll start out with Milton telling us what you do, Milton. I'll tr- no one knows what I do. <laughs> I'm, I'm with Dr. Including Jer- you. Dr. Jerry Parsons and uh, Dr. Calvin Finch, who uh, both have with, uh, except it wasn't called the Texas. Uh, yeah. It wasn't, well, it wasn't Agri- was it AgriLife Texas Extension? Agricultural Extension Service. Okay. Yep. When I, when I, so, when I joined. I, yeah. But then they hired some consultant. Uh-huh. That changed the name, cost millions of dollars. Oh dear! Change the uh, okay logos and everything. But oh. don't get me started. I won't get you started. Mike, tell folks what you do. Sure, I'm the state director, as you said, for the Texas Wildlife Services Program in Texas. That's a cooperative effort between USDA and Texas A&M AgriLife Extension, the new name now. <laughs> um, the Extension Service and the, the feds and the state actually have a cooperative program. And unlike other wildlife agencies that manage wildlife, our charge under both federal and state law is to manage human-wildlife conflicts, wow. which is probably why you called me, that when wildlife conflict with human interests, our agency gets involved helping homeowners and landowners deal with the problem. Sometimes we take the, the bull by the horns and take care of problems that are too difficult for landowners to solve themselves, something like feral hogs. Yeah. Um, but we also have a, a, a large presence in the urban areas where, where people have conflicts with raccoons and birds and opossums and armadillos. That, that's kind of our specialty. Yeah, do you give out recipes? Jerry has recipes. If you're <laughs> well, when it comes to feral hogs, there's plenty of recipes out there. Anybody who wants to eat one is welcome to them. And he's got possum recipes too yeah. on his website. Oh boy! I know <laughs> you're about the only person that was excited. Even if you faked it, you are much more excited than anybody else we've talked to. Um, well, I'll, let me give you the backstory because I saw your article on the um, the internet about grackles as part of a uh, part of problems that that people face and just on grackles in general so we'll kind of talk about that but what we were noticing we do our show every week from uh, a nursery here mill burgers and 
people were bringing in citrus, mostly limes, you think, or was no, it everything? No, all citrus. All citrus, and they had these little holes in them. And we, uh, the guys were, what were you all hypothesizing that those <laughs> were? It was almost everything. Yeah. Uh, insect damage, uh, maybe some sort of fungus. Uh, <laughs> and then... There was a lime tree next to us on the porch. It was in front of us on the porch and sitting by Jerry. And he noticed that there was a grackle in the lime tree pecking on the fruit of the lime. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that, that, that is one of the very famous things that they do in, in the, the Rio Grande Valley. We actually had a, a citrus protection program for decades. Um, when the grackles arrive and when they overwinter down there in the valley, and, and back then there was a lot more citrus, um, they were creating millions of dollars worth of damage. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it's, it's a kind of a natural attraction. You know, birds can see color. That's why they are so colorful themselves, um, <laughs> how they can tell one species of bird away, uh, apart from another one. And because of that color, then they're also attracted to things that are colorful. So as citrus matures and gains that deep color, whether it's it's a lime green or, or an orange, um, they're attracted to it just based on color. Yeah, and this, this, citrus, got, this citrus damage is done when the fruit is very small, still very green, just set on we, the tree. We actually can see them taking it right up to harvest. In, oh, my in the goodness. valley down there, they were pe- uh, pecking holes in oranges right at harvest. And if you go to the Laguna Atascosa National Wildlife Refuge b- before COVID, they actually were feeding citrus to grackles. They'd cut <laughs> an orange in half and nail it to a tree, and the birds would actually feed off of the orange itself. Well, that's encouraging them. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of deal is that? <laughs> uh, we we speculated some on what what advantage the grackles were getting out of there. We we looked at uh, some of their actions. It almost looked like they were uh, preening with pre- it. preening with yeah, or dropping, uh, which would be consistent with uh, some some. Uh, I don't even remember where we saw that example, Jerry. But we <laughs> it was. Uh, yeah, other it's not uncommon for other birds or and mammals even to use material that they've collected to uh, push off the insects and uh, uh, deal with uh, even the disease organisms. I think these crackles are just being mean. <laughs> yeah, well, was there any was there any conclusions drawn or any evidence that that of why they were doing that other other than your color thing? Not, I don't think there's been a lot of study on it. I mean, they're trying to decide why a bird does something might be <laughs> academically interesting. <laughs> they're just but, so hard to but, reason uh, with, right? Mm-hmm. The, 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 the majority of the damage is cosmetic. The, mm-hmm. the, what we were dealing with when we had the Rio Grande Valley Project, it was cosmetic damage. Um, and it, it seems like when the hole gets to a certain size, they'll abandon that orange and, or, and go to another. They'll abandon that grapefruit and go to another. And so it may be something in the rind. And yeah. like you said, they put it on their beak and then they, they, they fluff it through their feathers and that, that citric acid could help repel uh, life. Oh. Grackles, there's, there's three species of grackles that are here in Texas. There's the, the boat-tailed grackle that's along the coast. 
The gray-tailed grackle, which is the big one with a large tail, you see them, you know, residents during the the, uh, mm-hmm. the springtime. They're the ones that make all the noise uh, as they attract mates. And then there's the common grackle. And the common grackle, it, it lives in Texas, but it lives all the way up into the Canadian provinces, the prairie provinces. And so it'll, uh, it's the one that migrates down here, gets in huge roosts at times, 10, 20,000 birds in a roost. And those birds, because they live close to each other, they use each other for thermal cover, actually mm-hmm. do have a fair amount of lights on them. So, so that's a, that, that could be a, an adaptive behavior. We do know that birds have a completely different set of taste buds than mammals do. Things that are repellents to mammals, like capsaicin, actually are attractants to birds. You, you cannot give a bird enough capsaicin to repel it. Yeah, yeah, we have a, a serious part of our uh, bird feeding program. We talk about, uh, you know, we attract the uh, insect eaters by using suet, and then we re- repel the squirrels by using uh, uh, recommending a pepper flavored right. uh, suet. Right, it seems to work the, pretty the well. Pepper is, is the, the hot in pepper is capsaicin, and and that actually repels almost all mammals. But it it, it you could give a, a Canada goose, a bird, uh, way more than what would be found in bear spray, and, and they have no effect whatsoever. Wow! Yeah, do you know you don't know why that is? It it's, it gets down to the makeup of their taste buds. Actually, there they you they go. they have very refined taste buds. <laughs> Birds like grackles and European starlings actually can detect carbohydrate concentrations by taste. If you gave them two pots of corn and one had more oil in it than the other, they would actually select for it because the carbs is it, are higher. Is it the so same? It, it, is, it, is it similar to why I pick Irish whiskey instead of uh, <laughs> Kentucky whiskey? or whether, <laughs> It might be. If, you're, <laughs> if you have that refined sense, it, yeah. it could be that, the same. I always um, thought it was just because they didn't have lips. Well, interestingly, there are repellents for birds. Oh. Um, uh, methylantheranolate is a is a man-made chemical, but it's it's literally the artificial grape and artificial grape flavorings. Mm. Um, huh. By itself, it fires pain receptors in birds the same way capsaicin fires pain receptors <laughs> in mammals. Oh, and Lord. so this this commercially available product does repel birds. Problem with it is it's water soluble, and so you can spread it on your trees. And as long as you don't get rain or heavy dew, it's okay. But as soon as it, it, it gets a little water on it, it, it'll run off. You have to you have to fog them again. Yeah, we f- we found that a number eight shot uh, yeah. <laughs> works too. Yeah, so. Well, if if you're in a place where that's legal, absolutely. Let's talk about the legal aspects of birds. All migratory birds are protected under the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. But a group of these birds, the blackbird family, create so much damage, there's what's called a standing depredation order. <laughs> if they're doing damage or about to do damage or concentrated in such quantity as to be a health hazard or nuisance, then they can be taken without a permit. They're, they are not protected. You can't go out there and sport shoot grackles, but if you're shooting grackles to protect your trees, if you're harassing them to protect your, your ornamentals, um, completely legal and no permits required. That's what I do in my backyard. Shoot them in town, you know. That, uh. Don't do that. <laughs> That's interesting. So, 
you know, you mentioned something that the docs have mentioned before, which is the the damage that the grackles cause on the citrus is purely ornamental. Uh, is that what you said? Uh, cosmetic. 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 Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that doesn't make a difference to the homeowner necessarily. They don't like it. But I guess, uh, is that accurate? I know for the crops, they've got to sell these, and right. nobody wants to buy uh, citrus with pecker pride. Yeah, with little holes in it. Yeah. yeah. That, that's right. And, and if you look at the oranges that are grown down there in the valley, a lot of them have moved to juice oranges simply because of this problem. Instead of trying to sell a perfect oh, wow. eating orange, they are actually, you know, juice varieties that can be squeezed into fresh homemade or, or, or uh, fresh yeah. orange juice um, or, or grapefruit juice without actually considerations of that cosmetic damage. Hmm. Now, is it just the grackles that are involved in this, or some of the other species have similar habits with the, the citrus or citrus-related? But there are other birds that will get in those orchards and... Um, like common ravens, for example, they'll mess with fruit from time to time. But I think they're just plucking it off or picking it up off the ground and flying around with it in their beak and dropping it on the pavement to see it flat. <laughs> then they can eat the inside. Um, but but it's just the grackles that are really the, the problem. One or two ravens here or there picking up fruit off the ground never was a, a, an economic concern. We're talking to Mike Bodencheck on uh on Milberger's Gardening South Texas. He's the state director of the Texas Wildlife Service here. Uh, and uh, we're talking to him about grackles and, and stuff. Um, one of the things the guys noticed, and you can see whether this bears, your experience bears out uh, with this, and that is that, uh, Calvin, I think you were mentioning that it seemed to be just the young grackles that were doing it, or is that still what you think? Yeah. Yeah, well, that that's kind of our, so from our observations. Of course, we got a limited. <laughs> yeah, but I, but I think Jer- I think Jerry has uh, uh, communicated enough with the uh, professors involved in the valley and everything to, to, to be pretty confident in that kind oh, of a conclusion. Yeah. Because, oh, well, really? With just the, well, with the young? Well, we, what we saw indicated that it was the young. Yeah. But uh, I don't think yeah. we'd ever seen a mature feeding on the fruit. So uh, I mean, Michael, the even fruit. even the season we see them is generally the, the spring, yeah, brown, yeah. kind of brown ones. Yeah. How does your evidence uh, stack up against that, Mike? I have seen adult male grackles feeding on the fruit there again at, at Laguna Atascosa Refuge, where where they put it out intentionally for them, um, and we've seen them in the orchards. Uh, Literally mixed age flocks, uh, you know, several thousand birds descend on an orchard and start. It's almost like they're competing with each other to find fruit at times. Um, so I think it may have to do with the time of year, um, you know, from here till till February, March, April. Young of the year are pretty much adult sized birds. Um, so until they get their their breeding colors, their the the, the they're hard to tell apart, but but we, I have seen adult birds feeding on citrus before. So, pe- so pecking at it or feeding at the uh, the ones that they leave out? Feeding on the ones that they leave out, but but the mixed flocks, it seemed like all of them were pecking at it, and there were adults in those mixed flocks. So what do the what do the farmers do, and then what what can you advise homeowners to do? 
Well, uh, for farmers, it's a it's a little bit different. You got a lot of trees. You've got um, a, a lot going on, and they have some mixture of lethal control and and harassment. Again, Harass. both are legal without permit when you're targeting grackles that are doing damage. Um, but they can shoot birds, and you know it it. it might make you feel better if you go out there and kill four birds out of a flock of 10,000. <laughs> what you're really doing is chasing the other 9,996 <laughs> away. And and so it, it, it's, it's, it's really harassment. Um, some of the farmers down there, even when they're shooting at them, it's non-lethal harassment. They never hit them. <laughs> but they, they they do make a lot of noise. Noise cannons work. Yeah, it always works better if there's some place else for them to go. If that's the only orchard with fruit, then they're going to be you know the the center of attention. But no, if there's somewhere uh, else sh- to go, scare them to the neighbor's them, yard orchard. <laughs> um, for for homeowners, you know there are methylenthranolate products out there that can be used with a fogger or mixed with with water and sprayed on the tree. And you're talking about protecting them during that developmental stage up to maturity. So it's you don't have to do it for very long. As a repellent, frequently what we find is that you do it for a week or so and the birds just quit coming around. But then a new bunch of birds will come in on a cold front and you'll have to treat them again just to keep them pushed away from that tree. Have to but educate they them. do learn very quickly and if they, they get that repellent taste in their mouth, they'll quit the tree right away. Very cool. We've got about a minute left. Anything, guys, or Mike? Do you you know, uh, did you know Dr. Uh, Julian Sauls down there, the citrus specialist? Yes, we we had interacted with him when we started the program down there, and we actually used toxicants down there, and they helped identify the farmers that were having the worst problem. Yeah. (laughs) Very cool. Mike, we're going to say goodbye because we're we're up against the clock here. Anything that you want to add? Where can folks find out more about you or the Texas Wildlife Service? They can Google Wildlife Services, USDA Wildlife Services. We also have a research center with information online, and uh, they can call our office in San Antonio, 210-561-3800. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Mike. We enjoyed it. Thank you. All right, that's been our guest, Mike Bodencheck, who is the state director of the Texas Wildlife Service. And uh, we're going to take a break and come back with more of Millburgers Gardening South Texas coming up on 930 AM, The Answer. And the storm's brewing Welcome back to Millburgers Gardening South Texas on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Nice interview uh, with uh, Mike Bodenchuk, who was, the again, the state director of the Texas Wildlife Service in San Antonio. Uh, we'll, we'll have to get him back on again. And uh, maybe if we have squirrel questions, he can help us answer that one. <laughs> but we had to focus on the grackles today. Well, what else is going on, guys? I'll tell folks the nursery is closed today. You're not uh, going to get the number out? Al, Al, Al's by himself at the station, oh, so you can call him, make his day by calling 210-308-8867. That made him feel so much better. I bet. <laughs> call him up and say hello. Wish, <laughs> wish him a happy new year. 
I got some late breaking news. Do you want the late breaking news theme? <laughs> no. <laughs> now is it the late breaking news for New Year's? Or yeah, or for <laughs> for the, the one, one week ahead. It's, yeah, it's forever. It just shows how far ahead we are in the San Antonio area in gardening. Oh, good. Okay, horticulture. Uh, I found that this is an official publication. I found this in, and it's the effect of organic and inorganic mulching materials on tomato growth and development in western Kenya. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and uh, what, what was this? The... Is based on experimental results. What, what is the publication? This is from. Uh, Quote your sources, please. It's, it's, uh, Let's have your citations. I say I get uh, all the horticulture in uh, horticulture journal. Uh huh. This is the Kenyan one you get. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, they present these uh, at convention horticulture conventions. Okay. Like ASHS, American Society of Horticulture Sciences. Oh wow, that sounds like they fun. have an annual meeting. Okay. But anyway, based on ex- the experimental results, Calvin. Experimental. Calvin, you know, he likes research stuff. Sure, we all do. It was observed that mulching significantly improves growth parameters of tomato in both seasons across the two di- di- two varieties. The parameters measured in this study have a strong positive correlation to tomato yield. It is therefore recommended that white and black polyethylene mulches be used in tomato growing. Well, that's interesting. Why? That, so, uh, so break that down. Give me the why. You're throwing why? out so <laughs> that is does it improve the yield? Does it make for yeah uh, improved growth parameters? Okay. I don't. I don't that's know what that yield means. And that plant size, size okay. and, and survivability and all that kind of stuff. So they have proven in Western Kenya, experimentally. Yeah, experimentally, they have proven that what we've been recommending in in San Antonio area for years. Is actually true. Why? I wonder why white and dark. So, like, why white and black? Why not red? Why not? Well, it's it's uh, the white 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 and black. uh, They use black in the spring to heat up the soil. Oh, that's smart. Okay. And they use white in the fall to reflect the sun and and probably cool it down. Yeah. Okay. Yes, sir. Well, I mean, just it's not all. Gravy, because I mean it's uh, it adds adds some work to your it's it's kind of it um, means you have to deal with that that plastic and that mulch and oh. and uh, and then the, the uh, there's another there's a couple well Jerry's pro- probably could give you a list of those kind of uh, additions that would improve your mm-hmm. your performance. But then you always you always have to kind of weigh those against the how much it improves the performance and how hard the work is. 
one of the one of those is that uh, that's oh the the covering on the tomato cages mm-hmm. to keep the insects mm-hmm. to keep the insects yeah. out or even the the sun and everything there's pro- that's probably yeah. some there's p- probably a lot of good evidence there that you could uh, uh use to to justify but this is doing in, that this is in Kenya that you want me to call Kenya now? I'll call him. Would that be would that be a toll free number for Kenya? I'm not sure. I have to get approval from my <laughs> boss to call Kenya. But but uh, the this is brings to mind uh, uh, Dr. Roland Roberts, who's uh, passed away. He used to be the a wonderful vegetable specialist up in the High Plains Station in uh, uh, Lubbock. And uh, I would go to his uh, horticulture meetings up there, and we had a certain university up there, I won't mention, that always did research results on uh, things that I learned about to prove uh, things that I learned about in college. And I would always go, after the presentation, I'd go up to Roland, I said, Roland. (laughs) <laughs> we knew that a two two ounce a seed piece is the best seed piece to plant for Irish potatoes. That's in a book when I was in undergraduate school. I said, "What are the in the hell?" And I mean, this was a three year study. Oh my gosh! Oh yeah. The year after year, they do the same stupid results, and uh, they get the same results every year. And I said, Roland, why, the, why do they keep doing that? Did they not get the book that I learned from? And uh, he would say, Jerry, they had to prove that that was right in the high plains of Texas. Okay, I could. He was justifying his colleagues up there. They okay, did, kept doing well, the that research. Makes sense. No, it doesn't. Okay, well, <laughs> it makes sense to me. All right, but anyway, they've and, and they've you, proven the the mulch is in Kenya. Okay, so uh, <laughs> using oak leaves is not, according to the Kenyan experiment, is not as good as using something. Well, well, oh, that's no. a different mulch. That's not the. Yeah, we don't know that. Oh, okay. We He's, think we think that, but that hasn't been proven in Kenya. <laughs> As it can. Well, we don't. Yeah. We How don't about in high, high plains? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, well that, I don't. I don't know. Know what point he was trying to make there? <laughs> oh, I, bet I sure. was just proud of those people in Kenya f- oh, figuring that, out that that's, uh, that's plastic sweet. helps. Okay. Well, I'll I'll stop there. (laughs) I won't give the phone number, but I will tell you, you're listening to Millburgers Gardening South Texas. We're recording today's show. Uh, The nursery is open again tomorrow. We want to wish you and your family a very safe and happy New Year's and hope you have a wonderful 2022. We could use a good one. Yeah. Uh, You think it's going to be worse than 2021? I don't know. I hope not. (laughs) Uh, On the way over here, I heard that uh, a lot of the... Holiday traffic has been delayed. Air traffic yeah, has been delayed. I've heard that too. You know why? Well, I didn't hear why. All the all the attendants, the flight attendants, 
are tested positive for COVID. Oh, are they really? That's not good. Well, staff of all and, kinds. Oh, yeah. Okay. And they don't have any replacements, so they so have to they ground have there. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> well, maybe 2022 You will think be it's going to be better, but... Uh, it doesn't seem to get there just yet. <laughs> okay. So let's see. What else? Uh, anyway. Uh, Thank you for that breaking news. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. From Kenya. I know it's from Kenya. You've I mentioned mean, that you several get, times. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get that on any other radio stuff. Unless you're so. listening to Gardening uh, South Kenya. Is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they have that over South Kenya. I'll find out. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the uh, you know, we had a beautiful week this week. Yeah? Beautiful sunny days. And fairly warm temperatures. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 80 degrees. Yeah. yeah. 79. And what's that going to make grow? Tomatoes. No, weeds. Weeds? Oh. <laughs> Big time. Okay. And uh, the, the little baby weeds that you've been seeing in your in your grass and things, it's so cute. But uh, they're going to start growing into the big weeds you expect to see them in. Oh. And so, uh, so here comes bed straw. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's, uh, yeah, it's I on the way. I was looking for bed straw. I haven't seen. It's always any, later. Any of it. in the spring? Yeah. Now that that also, uh, when you have these kind of unexpected uh, or you know hot spells or cold spells, you get that a different pattern. And that's always kind of. Interesting. You mm-hmm. you might get uh, two growth flushes. You know. Oh no, really? That's yeah. True. My my grass, my rescue grass that's growing now is so lush. <laughs> might go to seed right away, mm-hmm. and then then if it gets cold, cool again in a normal winter, you little baby see rescues it, you see come another, up. Another uh, bunch of uh, germinating weeds out there. That'll be interesting. Well, because that I imagine that's frustrating for homeowners because they think it's gone and mm-hmm. then, boom, it's back. But anyway, is that well, accurate? I, I was, uh, I, I am uh, kind of interested in homeowners how they're reacting to uh, the rescue grass out there because <laughs> I think most folks think that it's their their grass. Yeah. Oh, it's just their regular grasses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And it'll be be more obvious uh, later that it isn't, but uh, then the other th- the other thing is the Bermuda grass is uh is kind of in a confused state now too. <laughs> cuz that nothing, it, nothing it, worse than confused Bermuda no. grass. No. Yeah, cuz no. Bermuda grass <laughs> Response, you know, eighty degrees. That that's no, yeah. so it's going to perk up with yeah. this week. Yeah, so oh, it should be man. a little, a little uh, uh, vulnerable to continue to be vulnerable to the uh, contact herbicides. Right, grass be gone and such. Except there's one herbicide that they're not this susceptible one. to. The, the weed free zone because of the cool. Oh, yeah, because it's cool. In fact, I I saw, uh, I won't mention who wrote this, but uh, said if you you get 
several war day, uh, warm day spells, 60 degrees Fahrenheit plus. Without rain, you can apply a broadleaf weed killer to control non-grassy weeds such as young seedlings of clover, dandelions, henbit, chickweed, and others. It will soon, uh, this was written earlier in the year, become too cool to control these for a month or two. Oh, but uh, not if you use weed-free zone? Uh, the, yeah, that doesn't apply to weed-free zone. And and, and we can th- thank uh, Trace for this. Yeah. Uh, introducing us to weed-free zone. We might not get that get the cold weather. I was thinking, looking at that long-term forecast, and it's oh, are you? It's pretty. It's uh, pretty mild yeah. temperatures. Of course, we've been fooled. By, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's fascinating to me. We got to take a break in a second, but I think this is. I've never heard the Farmer's Almanac quoted as a weather source so often as I have this year. It's it you know people will say oh that's that's calling for a cooler than normal now they're using it as as the ultimate I guess I don't know what's what's the is that of, is that scary because of the it's just I odd mean, is oh I was just <laughs> I was thinking it's consistent with the uh, political discussions you know oh no I just, <laughs> I, I just may you may as well make it up or use imaginary hands well I don't know I don't know what the, I think they actually use real models and stuff but yeah. it's but you know normally but but yeah, didn't that, they say it was going to be as cold as it was they last said, yeah but january and february were yeah. going to be cold and stuff so it'd be nice to get some uh well I, you know like that weather we had uh, some, some 34 35 yeah. degree weather mm-hmm. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, while we do, I want to tell you that you're listening to Millburgers Gardening South Texas with Dr. Jerry Parsons and Dr. Calvin Finch. I'm Milton Glick. And, uh, again, the nursery is closed today, but you can do yourself a favor by coming out tomorrow. And also, uh, you can do yourself a favor by remembering to check them out at millburgernursery.com. More in a moment, right here on 930 AM. This is The Answer. you don't know. Gardening South Texas on 9.30 a.m. The answer, Milton Glick with Dr. Calvin Finch. Dr. Jerry Parsons talking gardening with you and giving you all kinds of information. Uh, don't call in today. Or if you want to call Al and say, wish him a happy new year, he's, he's at the board, you can call him at 210 Well, they're not going to know how to call in because you're not giving the number. I am. I was giving it out right now. Oh. 210-308-8867. But give the number, Milton, if you don't want him to call No, I want him to call Al and wish him a merry, a happy new year, rather. <laughs> 210-308-8867. But, yeah, okay. And tell them. And, the, and tell Al Milton to, to call. Yeah. Milton says, hey, Happy New Year. Mm-hmm. All right. So the nursery is open again tomorrow. And so uh, you can head on out there tomorrow. 
a lot of people, yeah, obviously you'll have Sunday off, so head on out there and have a nice time. Over well, so we, we'll, be, we'll be there, too. Uh, so the, there'll continue to be Christmas trees brought in, right? Yes, yeah. yes. And get the gift certificate for bringing those in. And we keep reminding everybody you don't have to, your, your tree did, didn't have to come from uh, Milberger's. But it's uh, certainly appropriate to uh, uh, treat it environmentally um, well. You know, it's a, va- it's a valuable resource. And uh, the way Milberger's discards them, uh, yeah. They they treat they it that it. way. They chop it up and eventually use it for uh, mulch or fill or thing, uh, purposes that uh, are important to the nursery. We'll and I guess they take the uh, ornaments off and yes. use those for. Uh, no, they don't give those to a uh, charity. Ornament. You must take the ornaments and strings of flights and all that off yourself. I'm afraid so. What? Jared. Yes, I'm a no. I know you're disappointed, <laughs> but yes, you. Need I thought to t- Trey said that no, they no, no, I think wrap he, those up. No, I think he uh, he said they wrap up in something else <laughs> that causes damage. So yes, please take all the uh, ornaments and stuff off the Christmas tree. I still think we need to do a video of. I think he's going to make you go down <laughs> into the shredder and take that video himself. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know if you've ever used one of those big shredders before, but. Uh, it causes sometimes that has to happen. Somebody has to go down in there. Yeah, I don't want to be me. And make sure that you have people that are staying away from the machines that that you made angry about something. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's good advice. <laughs> well, and it's, right. it's it's always important that uh, people around those machines stay alert. Yeah, and a real ch- real challenge in a situation like. Uh, a nursery where oh, you got you yeah. got some temporary help, you got new new help, and uh, making sure everybody stays stays safe. And you're trying to machine and making off. Sure, and you, plus, <laughs> plus you want to protect the equipment. Yeah. So. so so yes, but you get a twenty percent off coupon. And I believe you can use it either through mid February or the end of February. We'll give you the and, specifics tomorrow. Yeah, Trace was telling us that the uh, a lot of the. Um, Plants, the target plants for the spring will be yeah, kind of coming, coming in. in. So Anything y'all are excited about? Is it? Uh, I know he's got figs. He's got the Victoria red grapes that we've talked about before. Yeah, sure. And the cyclamen too. Uh, yeah, that would be that. That's always a good way to use a gift certificate. And uh, I'm just looking at all the things on sale. <laughs> <laughs> Snapdragons still have a long. Uh, they got beautiful pan- beautiful pansies over there. Yeah, mm-hmm. and pansies last. Yeah, nice. forever. Blueberries, blackberries are on sale. Yeah, they've had that uh, that best the best blackberry, which we consider the best, the Kiowa. K i o w a, like mm-hmm. uh, the Indian tribe, right? And uh, that has Brazos blackberry variety in its edges, in it. Gene- genetics, well, but this one, this one is uh, turns sweeter faster. Oh gosh, yeah, I would. And it's just uh, it, it's probably just as big. Yeah, and it's as far as far as we know, it's just as easy to grow and as oh, reliable yeah. as Brazos. Oh yeah, and it's much much sweeter. Oh, it's very yeah, it's a it's an excellent high quality 
But uh, for those of, those of you wimps that don't want a blackberry with thorns, mm-hmm. go ahead and get get you one of those thornless blackberries that uh, will grow a plant, but uh, very little fruit. It seems to me that that uh, the thorn, the blackberries with thorns, make for much better war stories. No. gardening <laughs> war stories. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, the only people that get scratched by thornless uh, blackberry. Or people don't know how to harvest blackberries. I mean, the people that, that have the ones that have thorns, not the thorns. Yeah. Okay. Why? How do you harvest them? That's so you don't get thorns. And you don't I'm get not going to tell you. Well, help help these people <laughs> out. Be, be, it's the new year. Help oh, them okay. out. Okay. How do you do You this? wait till they turn, most of them turn black. All right. They turn, come on there, they're, they're red and they're, they're green. Mm-hmm. And even the cow are bitter at that time. You know, that's the way I taught all the neighborhood kids not to pick my blackberries. Because I said, okay, you can pick all the red ones that you want and leave those black ones because they're, they're rotting. They're turning to rot and they'll be no good. So eat as many of the red ones as you want. And so they went down and picked them. And didn't pick them but once. They mm. didn't harvest them but once for some reason. Like those grackles, they were. Well, there you go. <laughs> but uh, basically, a, bla- a blackberry plant is upright, especially cow. That's the way you know a blackberry from a dewberry. A dewberry oh, lays on the ground. Oh, okay. And, Do we uh, have dewberries? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, well, there used to be a Hoffman dewberry. You know, uh, Kenneth Hoffman and yeah, yeah. his family down in Poteet. But uh, they're sweeter and they ripen earlier, but they're kind of low down to pick uh, on the ground. But uh, a cow and those, a uh, Brazos and those types are upright. They, they hold their plants upright. But when they have fruit on the ends of the stems, they the fruit droops the fruit bearing limbs droop so when you go out to harvest them if you got somebody you can trust they can take a a broom handle or a a rake or something like that get under the droop and pick the pick the vines up which makes the berries hang down oh okay so the person that gets under gets under the be plants being held up wide can harvest the uh, berries without ever getting into th- thorns. Unless the person who's holding the berries upright gets distracted uh, or doesn't that's, like That's why the trust comes in. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking that. And, yeah. and you be, have, you've got to be in a good situation. Okay. No, that's good. If you've made your wife angry or don't have your her do spouse it. angry, don't do it. Okay. You hold them and let her cry, climb Okay. Do you uh, which 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 blackberries do you have, Calvin? I've got all I've got now is Kiowa. Okay, I but I y- used to have uh, Brazos and uh, Rose Ros- Rosenberg. 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 Yeah. Oh, Calvin used to come to the show, look like he was attacked by cats. They <laughs> they <laughs> those those were Brazos and Rosenberg and uh, Womack and yeah. uh, I forget the other one. But uh, we're all A and M. Okay. 
So, but uh, the, this cow was out of Arkansas, and they used, like I said, Brazos as a mother, mother plant to, uh, to cross to make cow. It was a good move. Okay, and they have figs on sale. Yeah, yeah, including ones you mentioned, <laughs> like brown turkey. Italian black, have we talked about that? Celeste, I've heard us mention that before. Oh, yeah. That's a little sugar fig, they call it. Oh, okay. And yeah, a lot of, I'm, lot not, of I'm not familiar with that one. Celeste? Oh, Celeste, yeah. yeah but what, what about the Italian? Oh, Italian black? Okay. I don't know. We'll ask Trace. That sounds racist to me. No. <laughs> but anyway, the, uh, a lot of people were concerned that their figs froze back during that uh Oh, yeah, cold they came back. They came but back angry. <clears throat> they came back in a hurry. Uh, and I also got a call, the other day, an email for some, uh, from the other day. And uh, they said that their fig they lived in the, in the King William area. Hmm. And they said that their fig didn't freeze back, but it had <clears throat> gotten tall, really tall. And so she wanted to cut it back. Severely. Uh, <laughs> said her daddy used to do it all the time in uh, Junction. He lived in Junction. But anyway. Uh, Sounds like it's in the shade or something. No, it's just a huge fig. Huh. It's an old fig. And so she's just going to take a chainsaw to it and cut all those big branches out. And I, I, t- I tell people with figs. The the cold hardiness of a fig is in the diameter of the trunk base. Yeah. Base, mm. yeah. So uh, you do, if you do want to bring it down, so to speak, uh, you leave. Maybe bring those big trunks down a half, and leave some of the big trunks there for the cold hardiness. Now, when you do that. You're gonna have a bunch of sprouts coming up. I'm just high. Oh. Five five minutes. I'm telling you. <laughs> okay. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> Keep going. You're doing fine. I'm just telling but, you. But anyway, they uh, that'll give you hardiness. But people think that uh, well, if I cut it down, I'll be able to reach all the figs to harvest all the figs, and the birds won't get them all. Oh. That thing is going to get back to its its height that it wants to be pretty quick. I have uh, relatives who had a fig tree that, that froze down, and they thought, okay, well, yeah. it, was, it was a series of thoughts. Okay, well, we've lost it. It was a nice tree. <laughs> and then it came back, and then it kept growing and growing and growing. And they thought, okay, but that's great that it's come back, but we're probably not going to get figs this season. No, it had figs. It had plenty of figs. It had more figs than ever before, they said. It was like. Was this in Texas? Yeah, it was in San Antonio. It was after the freeze. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I bet it was brown turkey. I bet you're right. There's only a couple of fig varieties that you can cut back to the ground or can freeze back to the ground, and then it'll have figs that same year. Oh, that it must be. brown turkey is one of them. Yeah, brown turkey and old fig? Cause there's, oh, they, they yeah. Fed, big they had a fig tree. In fact, I'm not even sure they planted the fig tree. It Might be. could be an accident. Yeah. Yeah, just a volunteer. There used to be a lot of brown turkey planted around because it was propagated by Allridge Nursery out in Von Army outside of San Antonio. Okay. But uh, you've got to make sure that it's a brown turkey. Okay. Do you know how you tell it's a brown turkey? By the leaf? 
There you go, Milton. I've been listening. How you Because <laughs> the leaf <laughs> is, I've shocked him. <laughs> <laughs> the leaf is cut deep, deeply cut, and looks like a a turkey a turkey foot. But Not a turkey, a turkey. A foot. turkey foot. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought it kind of looked like the little things that you. No. Okay. But uh, anyway, <laughs> that's a good one. Okay. And, and it's a big figure, and uh, it's fairly closed. It's not completely closed. It's not as closed uh, eye as the uh, as the uh, uh, Celeste. A Celeste is a completely closed fig. Yeah. Eye fig. And why do you want the eye of the fruit closed? You don't want bugs crawling. Oh, in okay. There. Is it insects? Well, of course, if you have the bugs and your yeah, protein levels are oh, so yeah. much higher. Yeah. Okay. And like Milton said, the bugs high, are n- high nutrition. <laughs> that'll be good. probably some good re- good uh, research for Kenya. <laughs> yeah, uh, that'll oh, be good. Right you should. <laughs> We and should send Jerry to Kenya. <laughs> so he can, he no. Can. <laughs> ah, that's the best thing, uh, suggestion you've had. <laughs> we, we used to, <laughs> we had a guy named, on the staff at A&M that uh, uh, named uh, uh, <laughs> Bru- uh, Br- <laughs> Dean McCraw. Okay. And uh, he he traveled uh-huh. over to Kenya. I bet it is fascinating. To help him with their agriculture. Okay. Did he? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Okay. <laughs> but you know what the the main thing they wanted in Kenya? Huh. Greens seeds. Oh, my goodness. Like collard seeds and mustard seeds. Crawford reseeding lettuce. There you go. Oh, my goodness. We You'd, could have probably you, taken Kenya over. You would have been big in Kenya. <laughs> but I think they wanted something that would produce more greens than uh, Crawford lettuce. Oh, my goodness. Does. Okay. Which we, we should mention that there's still seed at mm-hmm. uh, Millburgers Nursery, and they're by the cash register. I think it's for sale, but uh, it's uh, it's not too late to plant them. Good. That's plant good. Enough. That's right. And there's, uh, there's a lot of other things that we'll, we can talk about after the break. That, yeah. That it's uh, still time to plant. And that will be our cue. We'll do that in just a second. You're listening to Millburgers Garden in South Texas. This is our New Year's edition. Now, we're not here today. We're recording this earlier in the week, so you can't call in. But we're live. We are live. Well, we're alive, alive alive in the studio. (laughs) Uh, And, uh, yeah, so call us tomorrow with your questions on anything that we've talked about. We'll take a break and come back back in a moment (laughs) on 930 a.m. Millburgers Gardening South Texas is sponsored by Millburgers Landscaping and Nursery on 9:30 a.m. The Answer. We're back with Millburgers Gardening South Texas. Once again, Dr. Jerry Parsons, Dr. Calvin Finch, Milton Glick, and your calls on 9:30 a.m. The Answer. And welcome to the second hour of Millburgers Gardening South Texas. The nursery is closed today. Open again tomorrow, but we were recording the show and kind of uh, maybe going back. And this this next opportunity, this next interview uh, uh, with uh, Don Wildhorn, uh, Windhorn, I'm sorry, may be uh, a good thing for people who are looking for something to do uh, in the next year. Well, we've done that before on our show. So uh, our guest right now is uh, Don Windhorn. She is the president of the uh, San Antonio Audubon Society and the collect um, compiler 
for the Christmas bird count. Hi there, Don. How are you? Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So we were Calvin. When did we start talking about? I guess uh, about two weeks prior to the Christmas to the bird yeah. count. Yeah, we didn't uh, get a lot of the time uh, ahead of the event, uh, and so we started thinking about it, and and that's why we have these questions. We did uh, we did uh, talk of what this this day before was you were supposed to schedule everybody. Yeah. So we were kind of curious whether anybody responded. Uh, yeah. Any of our gardeners on the tell us show. tell us tell us the purpose of. Uh, the uh, Christmas bird count. And if you want to just go into the mission of the uh, San Antonio Audubon Society, that's good, too. And then, oh, well, let's do that. What is, what is the mission of the uh, San Antonio Audubon Society, and how? what's its history here in town? Sure. Um, the San Antonio Audubon Society has been around for over 50 years. Um, a lot of folks know us as a bird-watching club, which is accurate. Um, but it's also about getting out and seeing the birds. Um, throughout the year, we have uh, scheduled field trips that folks are welcome to join in on, uh, currently observing COVID protocols, um, social distancing in the field, wearing a mask if that's how you're most comfortable. Um, and then we have month- monthly presentations currently occurring on Zoom. And then we are an education club, so folks can write us and say, hey, I have a group of students, I have a group of adults. We'd really like some beginning bird tips. Um Beginner 101 Bird ID program, and some of our volunteers will come out and present those for the group if the scheduling works out. Very cool. So for the novice and uh, uh, not professional, but for the experienced and novice alike. Correct. And birding. Good. Lots of offers. So Calvin was trying very hard to explain the Christmas bird count, and I, I didn't quite get it, which is probably more on me than on Calvin. Will you explain the Christmas bird count and how it works? Sure. Um, this year, it's currently running from December 14th to January 5th throughout oh, okay. the world. Um, so those are kind of your date ranges, usually right around Christmas. Uh, it began with Audubon counting and seeing as many animals as you could, but they didn't necessarily use binoculars. They shot them. And so then they counted what was physically in hand as their bird counts, per se. So it was kind of a competition among the hunters. We have since moved and evolved into watching the birds and counting every single bird that we can find within a 24-hour period. Okay, and and then bird where do you where do you go and do you count any bird all all birds within? Well, first question first. I'm sorry. Where where do you go? Do you sure? Um, so the National Audubon Society oversees the organization. Um, and they have designated circles that people can apply to have a circle added to the count group. Uh, currently in Texas, there's over 123 before COVID. So last year we operated with 103 circles in Texas, uh, San Antonio circle being one of those. So it's a 15-mile diameter circle. Our circle is located in southwest Bear County, um, kind of if you're familiar with the area, towards Toyota Plant, Texas A&M San Antonio campus, the Mitchell Lake Audubon Center and just south of Lackland Air Force Base. So that's kind of the 15 miles that we're covering now. Okay. And and how do, how do people participate? What do they do? They, they um, is there like a, I'm just kind of curious what it looks like. Is there a sheet? Do they go out on a certain time? And also, too, Don, it, it does occur to me, this is airing on January 1st. Do you still need people to help you to participate? So each count has to identify a 24-hour period and choose that as their count day. Ours has traditionally been the Sunday before Christmas, um, just so we catch folks that are coming in to travel and uh, create some buzz about the birds at that point. 
Um, but we also try and catch folks before they travel for the holidays. Um, so we have, within that 15 miles, we have 10 designated areas because the last thing we want to do is duplicate our count effort. So there's a group that goes into quadrant two, into quadrant four, and so on and so forth, and they know their boundaries that they can count the birds within their area. So we do it walking and driving. So mm. you'll see us going really, really slow down the road and get honked <laughs> at emergency flashers so we're safe. Um, but any bird and all birds count on that day. So even if we see the 20th mockingbird, we are counting number 20. He's been seen again. And then as we add a new species, we will keep the tallies going in that area. And then as the compiler, I add all the areas together to come with our total counts to submit to our regional editor who reviews them, compiles the data, and then submits it on behalf of us to Texas. How Now, I know you do an analysis as a as the area coordinator, what does every group, uh, every group in in their geo, the geographic area, do an analysis? Do you get together with the, the other uh, circles in Texas to analyze, or how how much of an analysis is involved at at the end there? Sure. So at my level, um, we have until February to submit all of our documentation. Um, so there are birds that are resident to the area. There are birds that we should be seeing this time of the year here in December. And the ones that pop up as one-offs that are rare or should not be in this area still, didn't get the memo that they should be migrating yet, uh, we have to document what they looked like, take a picture if we can get it or a video of the call, um, some way to let the regional air editor know, hey, this is a viable count. He was here, she was here, and it needs to be on our list. So it sounds like you might, you might, that. you might even if there was uh, something t- turned out the way you didn't expect it, you might mobilize a, a special inquiry or or a group to to look at an area too. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Talking to Don Windhorn, the- we call those count count week birds because we can go and count them three days before and three days after. Oh. So if there's a question on the sighting, then we can get more eyes on it the following day if lighting doesn't allow for it during that day. Our, our guest on Milberger's Gardening South Texas, Dawn Windhorn, she is the president of the San Antonio Audubon Society. We'll talk a little bit more about the Audubon Society in a second, but we're still kind of learning more about the Christmas bird count. Do you use it to draw any conclusions? You mentioned, like, if you see 20 mockingbirds, you saw 20 mockingbirds. But what if last year you saw 30 mockingbirds? So is there any any conclusion drawn from that? Or if you see a new species that hasn't been in um, San Antonio last year or year before, do you kind of make an analysis that way? Is that what you were asking, Calvin, on your analysis? Yeah, how far the analysis went. Okay. How, how deep does how it go? How it's stimulated. So- so, sure. Uh, we take a look at the last 10 years of the bird count to say if that bird should be here or if it's a write-up bird. And so we're looking at population trends. We're looking at migration patterns. Have these birds arrived here in South Texas yet? You know, did they come early and just pass on through? Are there still berries for them to be eating and they're just not here yet? Um, so all those things play into account. Um, San Antonio traditionally has about 120 species different types of birds on their count. Uh, This year, uh, with most of the groups reporting, I have over 13,400 birds, individual birds that have been seen within those 120 species. And so far, we have about eight that are considered rare bird Mm -hmm. write-ups, including an Audubon's Oriole, some bronze cowbirds, 
So you have to take a look at those brown birds. Not every one is a brown, uh, brown cowbird. Some of them actually have the red iris and count as a bronze. Uh, we had cactus wren, we had consora, um, and we had flyover bald eagles as well this year. Hmm. Is there a does it get does everybody that's involved in Audubon get excited about the the bird count and then de- are there reports given or uh, to the you know like the bear the Bear County Audubon and the, and the various uh, local uh, groups or out there at Mitchell Lake uh, how how much communication is uh, local communication is involved? Sure. Um, so a lot of us on the count use something called eBirds. And so that's a real-time readiness tool that you can do your checklist. It documents where you've been, how much time you spent, and then how many species you saw. And if it's tagged and flagged in there as a rare bird, you have to write up why you think it is what you think it is. And then that flags our records committee here in Bear County in Central Texas that, hey, this might actually be a rare bird that needs to be documented. And they'll send, they'll get on the phone and call everybody and say, okay, who's the closest to go verify this? We need to write up. Um, to verify this is a sighting here in Texas. That's this is so cool. So, what was the one that surprised you the most on those rare birds? Um, probably the ibis that we had fly over a little bit. Um, okay, they shouldn't be here. <laughs> they belong on the coast. Um, so we had some white ibis and some white-faced ibis that flew through and landed briefly at a body of water. Figured out it wasn't salt water and kept on moving. Um, we had an Audubon's yellow-rumped warbler and an Audubon's Oriole. Uh, the Orioles were used to seeing here in South Texas in the summer, but they should have moved on further south. Mm. This little guy is still here. It's, uh, you know, we, we've been, on the radio show, we've been talking a lot about the Caracara. They're so obvious. Is it a, a general population now through San Antonio, or are there still just a few individuals? Is that How, how does that population relate uh, Mexican eagles? So... I would say population-wise, they have increased the residential ones. Um, in the winter, however, we get more of those raptors flying birds. And so we've seen an increase of the red-tailed hawks. That number didn't go down, um, as well as some kestrels and the caracaras are still very much migrating through the area. And did you mention a bald eagle? Yes, sir. We had two of the areas report um, bald eagles this year. One was an immature flying by himself, and then one was a pair. Do we ever, do we normally get bald eagles at any time of the year? Flying through. Flying through? Okay. Well, some years. Flying through, you some, do, or um, stopping over in some of our deeper waters, so like Braun and Calaveras Lakes. We'll have them. Mitchell Lake has reported them in the past. So it's just depends on how they're yeah. feeling that day and if they stop for a break and we actually have eyes in the sky to see them. How do you how do you deal with uh, the birds like um, purple martins that are not not here for the bird count, uh, but are uh, a lot of interest? Is it the are the same people that are generally interested in bird wa- bird watching and that participate in the count? Are they the same ones that are, are kind of crazy about the purple martins? Is, is, is that a, a separate interest yeah, area? We have a mix of birders out and about. Um, each of the areas has a designated, quote-unquote, expert for the area, someone who knows the boundaries, what they're counting, and can spot most of the birds that should be here to help those that aren't more familiar with the birds. Um, so I would say our purple martins, when they migrate, um, probably get counted on that circle where they migrated to. 
before they come back, which is the neat thing about the Christiansburg County is it is an international effort. And so as a state, we'll report our numbers, and then as a region, we'll report in the U.S., Canada, down to Ecuador, you know, a variety of folks, and we all have the same window to count birds within. Mm-hmm. So and it's fair, <laughs> shall you say. Not yeah. all your migrants coming through in the spring. Very cool. Calvin, what else do you have? Um, I'd like to talk about the Audubon Society as a whole and what people uh, kind of, how, how they would get involved and what they might do. And uh, can I jump to that? Sure. Well, uh, Don uh, Windhorn is our guest, president of the San Antonio Audubon Society. Uh, Don, tell us a little bit about, again, you told us the mission and stuff and, that, and the history, but, um, you know, it's New Year's coming up. People are, are trying to improve their lives. Um, uh, joining the Audubon Society might be just perfect for some people. What are some of the things that they'll do here uh, with you? We've mentioned the, the Christmas bird count and some of the programs. What are some other projects? That well, they might. There, there's uh, several Audubon organizations too, and then oh, okay. in, in Mitchell Lake, so you could oh. you can actually be, could be a, a degree of participation, which based on which group you oh, okay. you pick. We used to be pretty yeah, active are, in Mitchell there Lake. There are some yeah. options. Um, Mitchell Lake, as you've mentioned, and as part of the Christmas Bird Count for San Antonio, is the National Audubon Center here in the area. And so if you are a member of Mitchell Lake, um, they host a variety of education programs for children, classrooms, and on weekends they host workshops. Um, some are virtual and online. Some are actually in person is what they're moving toward, back towards now. Um, and they host migratory bird day. Um, they host field trips out and around the property. If you haven't been out there, it's an old uh, water system property, and so they have polars where the water would settle, filter out, and then move. they'd open up the gates and then move the water down to the next one so it actually settled out and purified the water. It's return it back to the aquifer. Um, so they have grasslands, they have wooded edges, they have the big lake, they have smaller polars, the grease light. Um, so if you want to see a lot of pelicans in the area, that's the place to go check out. Um, they have been posting uh, dates of workshops and field trips on their website, the Mitchell Lake Audubon Center. Okay. And then there are currently two operating clubs for Audubon here in town. Uh, the national chapter is Bear Audubon. Okay. Um, and they're affiliated with Mitchell Lake. So if you sign up for an individual or family membership at Mitchell Lake, you'll automatically be enrolled into Bear Audubon's club. Um, they are... Uh, education-focused as well. They have monthly presentations on a variety of subjects, usually with birds, could be butterflies, could be plants that bring these animals to your backyard if you're a resident birder. Um, and then they focus a lot on policy and advocacy for the national chapter. Uh, San Antonio Audubon is the second club in town. It's been around a little bit longer than Bear Audubon. Um, a lot of folks know us as our clubhouse over at the Alamo Heights Swimming Pool. Um, that are at the Judson Nature Trails. And so, again, we do education. Uh, we have our monthly presentation workshops, and then we host a variety of field trips um, throughout the region. So occasionally we'll go to, to Calaveras and Browning Lakes. Occasionally we'll go to the neighborhood nature trail and take a walk and just help folks identify and become more familiar with their natural surroundings. It sounds like a lot of fun and actually really rewarding to, to mm-hmm. learn more about the nature in San Antonio and the birds and stuff. Now, we, well, we've got to be careful. Milton was thought the master gardeners were a lot of fun, too. Uh, anyway, <laughs> they're going to give me a hard time, Don. <laughs> well, Don, if folks want more information on the San Antonio Audubon Society, is there a website they go to? SAAudubon.org. 
That's easy enough. Uh, thank you so much well, for coming can, on the show. Uh, can she t- t- tell us what uh, kind of participation did we have for the? Oh yeah, for the how many uh, folks? Yeah, this sure. Was, um, so our count is unofficial at this point because I've still got a couple more reports coming in. Um, I've got about seven of the ten areas that have reported. There were about thirty-seven volunteers in those seven areas out on Sunday, December nineteenth. Is that good uh, or we bad? About seven, seven thirty in the morning. Um, it that, went till about five, six o'clock, depending on the, the area you're in. Okay, and is that number high or low for the thirty? It's a little low, okay. um, but it's on track with what we had last year with COVID. Okay, <laughs> so our our numbers kind of dipped a little bit. Um, the National Audubon put forth an edict and said only carry it out if you oh. do it safely okay. and without you know <laughs> being a mega for spreading it. Yeah. So we restricted our carpooling to households only. So we would literally have four cars following each other yep. instead of everybody being in two. Don, we've got to run. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We'll talk to you again, I promise. All right. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks, son. Back to Milberger's Gardening, South Texas, on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, Milton Glick, along with Dr. Calvin Finch and Dr. Jerry Parsons. And uh, thanks to our guest, Don Winhorn, uh, president of the uh, San Antonio Audubon Society, for coming in and talking to us about the Christmas bird count. That was, that was fun. And learning about that. And it is nice. Uh, we did that one year. Maybe next, uh, maybe we'll uh, see if we want to do that again, where we talk to different organizations that we kind of deal with. Um, that and it's tough now because with COVID now doing what it's doing, she mentioned that her meetings were on Zoom. But you know we've had folks from Master Gardeners, Gardening Volunteers of South Texas, Rose Society, Cactus Society, San Antonio Men's Garden Club. Yeah, that too. Yeah, we've had them on a couple of times. So maybe we'll. Um, it's still a, it's still a nice opportunity for folks. So well, and and, and it's yeah. Makes you real curious because when you have had a cl- relatively close relationship with bird watchers, we mm-hmm. have we are quite involved, especially through Mitchell Lake, and, yeah, uh, and their competitions and their fundraising events, and then you lose touch for a little while. It's kind of neat to find out how things have changed, mm-hmm. or if they have. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to see the results. What the most prolific bird in San Antonio is? Prolific bird? What's what's the the largest number of bird? What what species is the largest bird by number? Jerry's probably is it, is it a sparrow? Oh, I think so. Okay. Yay! <laughs> I keep telling you. I was afraid to ask that on to her. So, cause I, you know, I'm just I'm just making just a, a guess. guess. Yeah. <laughs> If but, we could train the grackles and the sparrows to just <laughs> fight it out. Well, but they, but there are other, uh, let's see, blackbirds. I mean, they're, they're big flocks, but I, I still think sparrows are pretty Probably so. Comp- yeah. And have you heard of the bat falcon? The bat falcon? Yeah, which sounds like a little car that Batman bat, drives. The, fa- it's, it's the, falcon? the falcon from... So, in uh, Trinidad, yeah. Well, it's now it's like here, and she went down really? to see it. Did you hear her say that? Oh, I didn't, I thought oh, you heard. No, it. I hadn't. Heard I was wondering that. why you didn't you didn't respond to that. Yeah, she mm-hmm. said that they got a sighting in the valley, 
and she went down to to verify it. Huh. And I guess she did. Yeah, yeah. they don't well, know. That's cool. Said. Yeah. All right, Calvin. Uh, a while back, you were talking about other things that you could be planting now. Uh, where do you want to start? Well, sweet peas. Um, we've gotten good response or last last month on the seeds. They're uh, they're putting some height on, and they haven't started uh, blooming yet, but they're getting close. But the English peas, I mean, the yeah, the English peas, the vegetable pork peas, they are blooming now. If you had planted them, um, gosh, you could have planted them six, seven weeks ago. Mm-hmm. But uh, the thing about them, they're, if it doesn't get too warm, they'll, they'll, you plant them now and they'll, they'll go, they'll grow pretty fast. And remember the, the probably the, uh, the uh, processor, the trick that does the, is, is one of the most important things is to uh, soak that seed of the overnight. Sweet, sweet yeah. pea. And uh, they also rep- respond. It's another one of these, uh, Seeds that uh, you don't think of as needing fertilizers or a lot of watering, but they um, peas re- respond to that. Oh yeah, to that. Like even, even though, yeah, even yeah, that's right. Even though they're they've got an ability to uh, c- collect, survive, and you know, get a minimum amount of nutrition, but if you want them to perform. At top level, uh, go ahead and be fairly generous with now, fertilizer. Is yeah. is soaking them considered scarification? No. Okay. Well, I'm just asking. Scarification is physical damage. Okay. Soaking well, is just allowing it to imbibe water. Now that's mm. what scarification does. To blue bonnets scratches the right. surface of the seed. Well, and this dissolves. Holes in the uh, uh, surrounding of the seed, the coating of the seed, and allows water to penetrate. Well, a, a sweet pea or English pea or whatever doesn't have that hard coating. Oh, okay. And so uh, you put it in water, and that's another way you can tell which seed are good and which seed are not. Because if they don't swell up, Mm. Twice the size of probably the, if they don't swell up uh, after soaking overnight, probably not going to germinate or grow. One of the uh, things about uh, makes it neat to grow English peas or sweet peas is that you can use those uh, tomato cages if you got yeah. extra. Yeah. Most of us, you know, a lot of us grow uh, tomatoes in the in the fall. Um, but we usually don't grow as many as we get we do in as the you spring. Have cages. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you got lots of lots of cages, and uh, so they they're easy to use. Or you can use tre- regular trellises too. Mm-hmm. Nurseries have those that you just poke into the ground with your mm-hmm. feet. Yeah. But I I I think it's a lot, almost easier to use the uh, tomato cages. I tell you another th- something that'll grow well in those a- in those uh, 
Tomato cages. Tomato cages is Asian jasmine. Oh, yeah. You what? put you put a tomato cage over there by a planting of Asian jasmine, and they'll take that cage in uh, in two a couple of years. Is there any advantage them. to doing that? Well, no, because they climb. Don't they bloom no. when they climb? <laughs> I've never seen them bloom in a tomato cage. Okay. But in a tree, yeah. Okay. And uh, they, they, it's not an advantage to let, them, let the Asian jasmine get in that tomato cage because you can't hardly get it, pick it up. You can't oh. pick the cage up and the Asian jasmine just comes out of there. Do you know this from experience? <laughs> oh, yeah. Big okay. time. I've got cages that you can't even see that they're cages <laughs> because they're covered with Asian jasmine. Mm. But uh, I sprayed them with remedy, Kevin. Did you? Yeah. Did it work? Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's see. So we that, can, that, what else that, can that we? That remedy is, uh, seems to work very well for some of our Worse, tougher uh, weeds, vines, t- tougher yeah. vines, yeah, yeah, big time. So, what else can you uh, well the plant now? Carrots, yeah. Oh, you still planting by beets. seed? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I guess yeah. You, okay. Yeah, and they're come, they come up pretty fast. Now. Oh yeah, big time. So while it's cool, the soil's cool, and of right. course the carrots you planted earlier, uh, they've gotten big now. Are harvestable now. You can just leave them in the ground, um, and all the way through the through the winter, and harvest them in February or March. That's one of the advantages of growing uh, carrots is that you yeah you uh, you get access to some pretty pretty fast, but you also can. Use them through the long season in the spring. Well, that's and good. The quality yeah. stays high. Are all carrots created equal, or is there a variety that you want to get? I the, I don't. The the uh, I like the medium there's size. Hi, there's hybrid carrots, right? Mm-hmm. But the Vandalis, uh and uh, some of the growers out in uh, uh, west of here uh, used to grow thousands of acres of carrots and store them in the ground and uh, harvest them during the winter and uh, ship them north. Well, they, did they uh, go after the, uh, they didn't go after the biggest ones, did they? Did well, they, they used Imperata, one called Imperata 68, I think it was. And uh, it was a longer carrot. Longer, thin. But they, uh, we, <laughs> we all, it was, it was not a high, well, Maybe originally it was a hybrid, but uh, that's the first thing I, d- I did when I first got here was do carrot varieties uh, out on their farm there off of uh, Acme Road. But uh, they <laughs> and we found some good, good selections, beautiful carrots they produced out there, but. Uh, that always go back to the Imperata, mm. mainly because it was cheaper seed. And when you're planting thousands of acres, oh, okay, <laughs> you want to use the cheaper seed, especially if it performs up to par, yeah, yeah. acceptable level. Huh? 
Now, when those uh, when those carrots got extremely big, they would sell them to uh, Gerber, the huh. baby food yeah. stuff, and they would slice they would uh, chop them up and uh, put them in the baby food. So if you if you <laughs> fed your baby uh, <laughs> that. Uh, Jars of uh, Gerber carrots. Gerber carrots. You were probably eating San Antonio and South Texas uh, right. carrots from Vanderwally. The beets. The beets are growing too. The uh, beets are pretty hard to grow. I mean, I think the timing is a is a key. Um, so uh, I guess the carrots are like this in in our Crawford lettuce too. Is you don't see any action, then suddenly when the time, <laughs> the time is right, then every they they grow and they grow well. But uh, and then uh, a lot of people, uh, the greens, the beet greens are my favorite greens. They're they're like spinach. I mean, they're not nearly as uh, productive in terms of collards or. No. or <laughs> Kale or anything, but they so uh, cute. But they're uh, yeah, they're uh, really tasty. You can't beat them, Milton. Ah, and they're <laughs> supposed to be good for you. Oh yeah, oh yeah, they're really good for you. You eat a lot of beets? No, I didn't think so. <laughs> I like uh, you'd have to beat me to get one. <laughs> the beet, the beet uh, vegetables, the fruit is is wonderful too. Yeah. You know that that's one of those oh, the greens? that you don't have to. Oh, the you know you really greens really don't have to um, cover the co- uh, the uh, taste with bacon grease or anything. <laughs> yeah, the uh, versus uh, when they had their roadside stand out there on uh, at Von, Mar- Von Army, uh, beets was one of the better sellers. Oh, really. Best sellers at right. yeah. the market. Because huh. like, a lot of people like that. Yeah, that, there's the, the ones that we're most used to with the the red, the yeah. foliage. Yeah. And then there's the, the those green ones, those uh, light-colored ones are huh. really pretty. They're much easier, seem to be easier to grow, and they're they're very good, too. No. So there's a, a lot of things you can try. And the... Uh, I think I think they still got some on the rack at uh, Millburgers that uh, different uh, color both the red oh, and good. The, and the green ones to try. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break and come back in a moment discuss more of uh, gardening and with uh, you right after this. You're listening to Millburgers Gardening South Texas with Dr. Jerry Parsons and Dr. Calvin Finch. I'm Milton Glick. The nursery is closed today, so. Uh, be sure to come back uh, tomorrow if you're uh, interested in getting something from Mill Burgers. They'll be open again tomorrow uh, at 1604 on Boulevard Road. And be sure to check them out online at millburgernursery.com. Milton Glick here. We'll be back in a moment on 9.30 a.m. This is The Answer. Sinking like a stone Deep in my
And welcome back to Milberger's Gardening, South Texas, on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Milton Glick, along with Dr. Calvin Finch and Dr. Jerry Parsons. And uh, wrapping up our final segment uh, today, uh, some more topics. We can discuss more things that they can plant now, if you like, or did we touch upon everything? Well, I th- think Jerry needs to get, give us a little report on the blue bonnets, where it yeah. the state there, and what's going what's gonna to happen if the, that weather stays uh, so stays mild. Warm. Well, uh, of course, they won't freeze. Well, they will freeze if it gets to zero or below. Uh, That's why you don't see many blue bonnets out of Texas. Oh, is that right? Uh, Interesting enough. But uh, the ones that have, because we got the rains earlier, uh, I think the seed had enough moisture to germinate. And uh, so the, the blue bonnet should be, or will be uh, in their, what we call their cotyledon stage, uh, which is uh, cotyledon being the first uh, true, le- true the first leaves that pop out, which, uh, well, we, they're not really leaves. <laughs> but anyway, before the first true leaves come out right out of the center. But uh, we want blue bonnets at this stage to be what we call hooker down, Milton. Okay. That's a Texas term. Uh, and they've what they've done, they've formed a little rosette plant uh, on the surface, and that's where you see the It's like a lot of weeds in our landscapes. When you see spots of little plants that are green in the grass, which is dormant and brown. Oh, now. okay. But that's the weeds. That's that's the weeds, and they're hunkered down too. Have a little rosette, and then when the temperature gets warmer, now they're putting down a taproot now. Are the weeds the blue and bonnets? blue bonnets. Okay. Uh, and so when it gets warm enough, warm enough, uh, they'll send out their main foliage from that little hunkered down uh, rosette. And that's where, from where the uh, the blooms come, of course, on weeds and blue bonnets. But uh, the what fools people all the time because they're anxious to see some blue bonnets come around are the first blooms, uh, which are the insignificant blooms. Really, uh, we call them king blooms. Yeah, comes right out of the, the center, name. and. Uh, but the big show of blue bonnets will come when the side shoots start uh, breaking out and, and increasing the plant size. In other words, it goes from a hunkered down plant, which is about the size of a half a dollar or fifty cent, I'm a yeah, silver dollar, was, yeah. up to a plant that can be twelve to fourteen inches spread in right. diameter but it's, and full of bloom. But it's Probably no higher than half an inch or a quarter of an right, inch. Right, right. Yeah. Now, there are some of the other, uh, I know the coreopsis is kind mm-hmm. of is, uh, hanging on and blooming and looking pretty <laughs> uh, pretty good. And then uh, larkspurs are oh. starting oh, yeah. to come up. And uh, my uh, blue curl <laughs> uh, is uh, starting to come up a little bit. And uh, 
I'm seeing sunflowers, which is unusual. Huh. They usually w- yeah. wait until uh, early yeah. summer. To it germinate. hadn't been cold enough to kill them. Yeah, the seedling. Well, they're. It's hard to get a second crop of uh, sunflowers. That, you know, mm-hmm. you have that late uh, summer bloom, mm-hmm. and then they they're kind of disappear until the next summer. Mm. Um, and sometimes you try you try to get them to, to <laughs> germinate, but they just don't cooperate. Yeah. But uh, this year, there uh, a lot of them are coming up, and it's kind of a, sta- a, a strange, unexpected performance. <laughs> so they'll be coming. I, I haven't seen uh, any of our poppies, though, or anything. Yeah. Okay, have you seen any? No, none of my seeds are doing anything that I can see. Then uh, uh, the, guy, uh, the old fellow that calls in all the time, uh, Jimmy, I mean... Billy? Billy, Billy. Oh, Billy. yeah, yeah, yeah. He said he'd seen some. Uh, oh, did he? Has yeah. he seen some it's already? Some poppies already. Okay. Cool. Now, can we go back to the blue bonnets for one more time for a second? Yeah. Okay. So, Calvin, do you have blue bonnets seated? No. Well, okay. I, I mean, I, yeah, I've got some that are okay. a few that are come up naturalized. Okay. Jerry, in your well, yard, do you have blue bonnets? No. Okay. So, I was going to ask which of, so like today. Uh, uh, it's it's the end of the year. Yeah. What would I be seeing? Because I don't see anything that looks like the hunkered down thing that I see at the nursery. <laughs> um, I don't see anything that doesn't look like grass. This is the first time I've really just kind of let them go to seed. Well, I don't think uh, blue bonnets come up uh, according to the, how much moisture they get and the temperature of the soil, but uh, they can come up very late in in the season, like in January and even into February. Oh, so I might not see the hunker down. Right. They can can be disguised. I mean, you can, there can be, you probably, uh, I suppose I've got seven or eight out there, but (laughs) I really don't see them until they get a little larger. Burst burst forth. Okay. uh, So I won't be discouraged yet. (laughs) Now, the, the larkspur, I've seen larkspur germinate early, uh, like hair on a dog's back, thick that thicket, and then be frozen off by a late frost or freeze, and then more will come up. I mean, there's a tremendous load of seed in that soil. So uh, they'll, go, they'll be here for spring. Yeah, they're ready for action. Yeah. Whenever. Yeah, I I enjoyed. Laura got me a uh, my first uh, experience with larkspur was she went to Colorado and she got a little wildflower mix Mm -hmm. and gave it to me as a gift. And I created my own little wildflower garden in a pot in the front yard. That's sweet. It was. I thought it was kind of fun. And the larkspur. (laughs) Wow. Was it it was only then it came up. No, some other ones came up, but they were the strongest. Oh, yeah. And then uh, then I killed them. Why? No, no, I didn't mean to. Oh. How? No, I did, I was I was looking to Jerry respond because I was waiting for <laughs> if you kill larkspur, we can't help you. There you go. It kind of spread the next year. It was voluntary, and then after that, it was gone. It didn't come back at third, the third gone. year. Yeah, but it was in a pot too, so it wasn't in the ground. If I had it done oh. in the ground, it probably would have. It might have done better. Yeah, because they're. But I think uh, it. Uh, they're yeah. uh, pretty permanent once they get. 
Na- naturalized. Mm. Nothing's in permanent in my yard. <laughs> no, though, though, <laughs> or, or in your even in your trunk of your car. Yeah, nothing's permanent. I got some stuff growing in there that <laughs> that uh, maybe those old-fashioned petunias. Uh huh. come up and reseed themselves in the pot, and Lord Bush will too. They are coming up. Too. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. very happy for a hundred years. They'll come up in that pot. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> Because they're small seed and uh, they want they want to germinate. They want to live. Well, I've told you the one where I kind of learned to like them was where we had a uh, a, a patio slab. It was just a cement slab. Mm-hmm. Then about a, it was a pier and beam home, and then <laughs> like an inch uh, between the two, the home and the slab that mm-hmm. was that was that went down to the ground, uh, and I had put them in a pot. Mm-hmm. I had put either Laura Bush or I think it was VIP. I don't know. If yeah. We, okay. Probably so. You think you'd brought some VIPs. And sure enough, come summer or spring or whenever, <laughs> they started coming up. They had must have blown into the oh, underneath yeah. the house. And they came up. And I thought, oh, this is a plant for me. <laughs> if this can come up. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah, I like Those them. seeds are tiny. Yeah. Tiny, tiny. And they're they're apparently survivors. Yeah. They want to grow. Well, larkspur is that way, too. Okay. That surprises me that, uh, that I didn't get any. Yours didn't come back up because uh, I told you the story where we planted them out with our blue bonnets at the first Stratton farm, and uh, uh, it scared them to death. I mean, it scared yeah, the farmers were... to death because they couldn't stop them with any of their herbicides. Yeah, yeah. now that's a serious weed. Yeah, and, and if you look up, Larkspur. Do a Google search for Larkspur. You'll find many more uh, descriptions. I'd say 98% of all the descriptions is how to control. Is that how to right? Control them on, especially on the on the on the grasslands. Because I mean, they drop so many seeds in there, and they they're coming back. And Calvin, do you just give up trying to control them and enjoy them? Or <laughs> no, no, I I have. I designate one one okay. row for the <laughs> the formal bloom. Then I let some exist that are in the corners mm. and uh, off off of the the main bed. But I I'm I'm pretty careful to remove any that are competing with the snapdra- oh. snapdragons no. and stocks and things. How <laughs> are your stocks doing? They're great. Okay, They're good. Yeah, there's uh, they like that cool weather. They don't like this oh. warmer weather as I'm, I'm hoping it won't be too long and it'll m- move past. But, uh, yeah. yeah, they're good, really fragrant. Flowers <laughs> looking good. <laughs> Did you, uh, how how do you control the larkspur? Do you hoe them out or I mean, spray I just, them? I just pick them off, pull them off. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, you know they can be transplanted, Calvin. Oh, wow, yeah. really? Yeah, my, oh, that's uh, cool. my volunteers proved that. Oh, okay. Now, the wildflower books say you can't transplant they've never met your volunteers yeah well that's what i um for uh that's what i do with uh, a lot of that role that i talk about is just uh transplanted from other parts in the garden yeah and they've got uh, a root uh, like a carrot Mm. they've got a tap root Uh, like a a carrot yeah yeah (laughs) you don't have to you don't have to be too uh, Uh, no can I Fancy plant those by seed now, or do I not want to? Do I just want to? I mean, I've lived through bamboo, and <laughs> I can tell the story. Well, I bet you could plant them by seed if you can find the seed. Oh, okay. yeah, big time. Okay. Yes, yeah. you might find I some, won't regret somebody this? that, 
uh, I was thinking, yeah, but somebody that grows larkspur generally doesn't have a lot of seed. No. Yeah. They don't need it. <laughs> they, they don't, don't need, need the okay. seed. The, not like the poppy seed. Okay. I'll see if Trace has larkspur seed. You know why they have poppy seed, Milton? Why they collect poppy seed? Why? Oh, from opium? But not all poppies, right? Didn't you say it was just the California or just something? Just the, the pretty ones that we grow around here. Oh, okay. <laughs> the Californians don't. Oh, okay. Yeah, what is it that they grow in uh, Hondo and Castroville? My, they're gorgeous. Yeah. And they is take around their, that monastery? Oh, 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 all over the city. There are whole homes with them just all yeah. over. Well, that's, Trinity that's Trinity University, too. Has oh, did a, they? A wonderful, I don't know if they're still growing them, but for years mm-hmm. they had a very, really nice bed Big, a huge area. Where was it at Trinity? Do you remember? All, all, all over the f- Oh, all over all the campus? Fields, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, you know the the story about uh, the maroon uh, poppy that mm-hmm. uh, Greg uh, developed. Sure. It's maroon. was from a, a red selection that we gathered seed from in sight of the Johnson Ranch, Ladybird Johnson Ranch. Uh-huh. And uh, they were pretty red until Greg messed them up and made them maroon. That sounds like something Greg would do. <laughs> but as far as finding uh, larkspur seed, I'm pretty sure that uh, Wild Seed Farm. Yeah, I was thinking they probably have. I could probably get it online if Trace doesn't have it. Yeah. All right, got about a minute and a half here. What else is going on, gentlemen, coming uh, up in the new year? Anything you want to talk about? for the Well, week? let's see. You can still get the transplants uh, with mm-hmm. Jerry Talked about spinach lo- looking good. Oh yeah, and and ready for ra- ready for action. You could start harvesting. Yeah, he was showing me that. Uh, were you showing me the kale yesterday? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, that looks good. That yeah. looks like ready to eat. Yeah, but luckily, not many people have bought it. Mm. Wonder why? I don't think he said that. He said that's more popular <laughs> than spinach. Trey said I they're think sell- he makes that stuff. Up. Trey said they're selling more of the kale than the spinach. So, uh, yeah, there's plenty of that. Strawberries, there were strawberries. Were there? I no. don't know if there still are. I mean, and they were bl- some of them were blooming, little bitty yeah, plants I saw the blooming, little blooms. which is not a good thing. So there may not be by the time this airs, but... Uh, so when you, you buy a strawberry and it's got blooms on it, you pinch them? Take those off now. Pinch them off? Yeah. Okay. Because you want to grow a plant rather than have it fruit. Yeah, why would you want that fruit? That wonderful <laughs> fruit. Well, the fruit stunts the growth of the plant, you know. So. Oh, okay. And hanging baskets so I don't get pill bugs, right? Right. Well, and we want people uh, to give uh, those snapdragon, those uh, spreading snapdragons oh. a, a, a try, too. If you uh, have good luck with pansies and violas, uh, try those uh, snapdragons, and it gives you another option for your patio and for your hanging baskets. Yeah. All and, right. And since it not going to freeze hard this year. <laughs> right, Kevin? Says you. That's uh, uh, the, the, old <laughs> the forecast doesn't look, look like it will. There you go. The old farmer's almanac, that old farmer, he says it's going to. Who are you going to believe? Calvin or the old farmer? <laughs> 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 All right. Well, listen, we'll talk about more of this tomorrow when we're back at the nursery. Again, the nursery's closed today, but we want to take this second on behalf of Millburgers, wish you and your family a, a safe and happy holiday, and we're going to hopefully have a great 2022. I'm Milton Glick on behalf of the Docs. Thanks to Al for doing a great job and thanks to you for listening. See you tomorrow back at Millburger 1604 on Boulevardy Road on 930 AM The
Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.